Connesty, how are you? Welcome to the Candle Tales podcast. I'm sitting down in the shoppers with my sister and a rake of people on live stream. Yay. I'm sitting down in the shoppers with my brother and a rake of people on live stream. Uh, we are going to tell you two stories and we're going to have a chat about them afterwards. As we always do. So uh, thank you for listening. We get this, I guess, inspiration for telling stories from, well, the fact that we've been doing it for so long and we get help for doing this on patreon.com forward slash candle tales. At the moment, we're essentially doing it on a voluntary basis uh, and we get the we, item on. We get, we get enough money for tea. We do. And toilet um, roll. And toilet roll. <laughs> if anyone would like to help support this podcast and our general endeavours, you can go to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. There are some fun rewards on there as well. And uh, at the moment, we are recording this in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. So this is just going to be a podcast about staying connected and a bit of emotional resilience. And um, yeah. And I think there's also a very strong case to be made to connect now more than ever. And I think the way we use social media will be interesting over the coming days, weeks, months. There was a time when I had to email my brother and that was the only form of contact I had from him when he lived abroad. And now we can contact him uh, straight away on, on, a, on, a, on a phone call. And it's, it is, it makes, it breaks down a certain barrier. Oftentimes we think social media builds up a lot of barriers and it can do, it can make people more isolated in society. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how we can actually connect, reconnect and keep a sense of community alive because that's so important, especially when you're told to stay at home and be alone and we are social creatures and we need interactions. Mm -hmm. So um, Keeps us human. Keeps us human. So Aaron, tell me a story. All right. First story is about a woman called Nish. Now, once upon a time, a great battle was fought. This was the Battle of Ventry. The king of the world sought dominion over Ireland and he brought a fleet of ships that blackened the horizon. They landed in Carcagwina, a force that had never been reckoned with before on Ireland's shores. And so, Elfina were called to arms. The king of the world was so full sure of the fact that he would defeat the Fianna and the rest of the bands of Ireland that he brought his family and young daughter with him. Mish was her name. Bright eyed blonde, beautiful girl who adored her father, the king of the world. But the adored Fian sounded and it echoed and all over the world and surrounded the lands of entry. For a year and a day they kept this brilliant giant army at bay until Fionn Bakul came forward with his hazel shield that could not be broken and he fought against the king of the world in a deadly fight and Mish watched the bloody fight the 
she saw her father be killed by the leader of the Fianna and so many more of those many brilliant band of men pour onto the shore of Kirkaguina and beat back that invading army. Something inside of Mish's mind broke when she saw her father and family killed. So she ran away. It was a victory for the Fianna. No one knew what happened to Mish. She went into the hills and the high wild places surrounding Ventry and that day. For a long time, people were curious as the noises and strange sounds coming from the hills. And as years went by, stories of a creature and a wild woman crept into the ears of the people surrounding near there. And so hunters would go and try and find this wild beast, but clawed dead bodies would be found of anyone acting out harm against this woman, Mish of the Mountains. The story of her spread. People began to believe that she was a, one of the Tua, one of the Fae, had some form of godlike demon inside of her. She was so deadly. But a local king, he heard the story of how she had come to Ireland and well, he had great pity for her. And so he offered up a great price to anyone who was brave enough to go into the wild places and restore humanity to her. No one dared. They'd heard the stories of this deadly woman of the hills until a man Dove Rish, a poet, a musician, a storyteller, he decided to go up and he brought with him a cloak, some golden coins and his beautiful harp. He went into the hillside and he sat down beside a creek in the river. The sun was shining, gleaming off sparkling rocks that were wet with the water that flowed right past them and he sat down and began to play music on the harp. As the sun was beating he thought to himself that he would take off his cloak and then he took off the rest of his clothes too and laid them out right by the cloak as he poured out the golden coins around and continued to play music that filled the valley. And as he played he sensed, but he did not see a presence near him. Mish had crept up towards him. Now, he knew he was not alone as he heard a heavy breathing coming towards him. And suddenly, out of the corner of his eye, he saw this creature-like animal coming towards him. But he kept on playing and lulled her into some form of sense of security and she was fascinated with the sound and the movement of his hands and the strings of the harp 
and he glanced towards her and he saw a spark of recognition. And she used her voice, the voice that had not been used in decades, so it seemed. And she asked him, What's that? He did not stop. He did not miss a beat. He just simply said, This is a harp. I'm playing music. Do you remember music? And she said, Then she continued to point to the gold on the ground and ask him what that was. And he explained that it was gold, it was currency. Did she remember currency? And slowly she recognized, remembered something beating in the back of her mind. And then she pointed in between his legs and asked him what that was. And he said, oh, that, that's my tricking stick. She said, what trick does it do? <laughs> well, he showed her what trick it did. <laughs> well, she liked the trick a lot. So much so that she said, Do it again. <laughs> Almost straight away. But Dovresh said, Now is time for eating. Now we eat after the trick. The trick can happen later. I know. I need a bit of a break. And she said, sure, okay. And she darted off into the wild, into the trees, and she ran down a deer and clawed its throat out and dragged it back to Dovrish and started to gnaw on its body. And he said, no, 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 calm down there, no love. we got to make a fire. Do you remember fire? And slowly he cooked the meat as he showed her how to cut off the choice bits of meat and take the skin off and use that skin at a later date after it was dried and she'd begin to remember things as he showed her but she was kind of eager for the trick to happen again so once that happened they got to that slowly and bit by bit he showed her how to comb her hair how to wash do you remember washing in the stream getting the clumps of mud away from her well, he spent an entire summer up in the mountains. And bit by bit, he brought her humanity back. And bit by bit, and day after day, he fell in love with this woman that was so wild of heart, but so pure and present with everything. And she adored learning and remembering all of the things that he brought to her attention then she stood straighter she remembered words she had not said in so long and they began to sing songs recount over stories histories as all of a sudden she came back into her full womanhood at the end of that summer they walked back down into Ventry Venny the king who had offered up the reward gave a great and wealthy reward to Dovrish and Mish. And well, they lived happily ever after for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Dovrish a few years later was indeed devastatedly beaten and bled out and died. But Mish, her mind did not break. 
to the love of Dovrish had brought her back. And though she lost a part of her heart when he died, she herself and her womanhood, she survived to live another day. This story is the story of the goddess of the banshee, Cleona was her name, well known in Cork. You see, Cleona was known to be one of the most beautiful women of this world and the next. She was so hypnotizingly brilliant and beautiful, wherever she walked, Three birds would follow her and sing such an enchanting song that it would put people into a healing sleep. They would awake once more revived and feeling alive from any sickness or worry they had felt from before. And people could pray to Cleona, ask her for advice, inspiration, guidance. She was a goddess of healing, beauty, and poetry. Many times she was evoked, famously evoked by Cormac McCarthy, who was having a bit of trouble with a few landlords when the landlords were all very English. He was trying to build, a, not just pretend English, I mean, he was trying to build a very big house down in a place that I'm kind of from, and well, they didn't want to let him, and so he evoked the power of the goddess Cleona, and he was visited by her by a dream. She came to him and told him the very first stone he sets his eyes on in the morning he should kiss, and after that he'd know what to say in English courts. And so he awoke, and the sunlight was streaming in through his window. He walked out the door, and he set his eyes in a great big beautiful stone and he just left his lips on it giving it a good old smatter when he walked into the court and he just knew exactly what to say and he spoke with such eloquence and beauty and impressive poetry that they were just blown away the English decreed that he should have whatever he wanted and absolutely fine yes and so he built a brilliant castle a brilliant, beautiful castle which he then erected the stone up on top of the top, dedicating it to Cleaner's stone. And when a war broke out not long after, Queen Elizabeth was so frustrated with dealing with this Cormac McCarthy because everything he said, he twisted and confused and contorted the meaning in such a way that nothing that he would say he would follow through with until she eventually said that no matter what he says is utter blarney. And the stone that people keep on kissing. So Cleena still gets recognized and some form of respect shown to her by everyone who kisses that stone, even if they don't know it. But Cleena, well, many stories there are about mortals who fall in love with gods to their own peril. Well, 
she was one of the very few godlike people who had the power of this world and the next to fall for a mortal. Kivon of the curling locks. He was magnificent. And she saw him through the veil, leaping in hunt and in battle, and she fell in love with him while he was asleep his curling locks fall down the pillow's side and she laid by his side in his bed and when he awoke with her next to him he fell inside her and in love with her <laughs> now the love between them was beautiful and strong and they stayed Cleaner's Rock in the northwest of County Cork, near a place called Mallow now. And there they stayed for a long time, and they were very happy in which way they played until a day came when Kivon of the Curling Locks had a sadness in him he couldn't understand, and when he left, he locked eyes with Cleaner, and to her surprise, she felt the sadness of him inside her. He left that day. She spent three days waiting for him to return. But after the third long night went by, she knew her lover would not come back to her. So she left Cleona's rock that still holds her name and is cold to touch from the sadness of her heart and she wandered weary and weeping through the countryside following her footfall as it led her to the coast to a beach named Glandor and there she looked at the water as she left her tears fall into the water by her feet and a wailing came to her, a wailing far greater than any one of the banshee could ever make, and she cried, a heart-rendering cry that was echoed now by the sound of a storm, because the only thing that could keep this quiet was Mananon McClear's great storm that he sent to quieten the wailing that was weeping through the entire landscape. And after the seventh eighth and ninth wave came it ripped clean away and dragged her down into the deep dark depths of the sea where her wailing could still be heard by anyone who drowned on those rocks near Glandor the queen of the banshee drowned after a heartbreak and still to this day they say in Glandor the ninth wave of any storm is brought to you a name Cleaner's Wave. Thanks very much.
folks. We're going to take a wee break, 10 minutes or so, yeah? Yeah, about that. Not for a pint or whatever you want. I mean, you should finish your scarf. I love that she's knitting up front here. <laughs> Somebody recently told me that this is the best thing ever to knit at, so you are on to something. Right, okay. <laughs> You're not the only knitter of Canada. Yeah, yeah, everybody bring your knitting from now yeah. on. We'll have a wild one. Hashtag bring your knitting. Uh, yeah, class, great. Studious. Great, lads. See you in uh, 10. See you in a few. All right, so uh, go on. I have a question for you now. Uh, what is the story with the Banshees? Well, the Banshees are kind of death heralds. It's an interesting one because the name Banshee just means woman of the she. Yeah, Woman right. of the fairies. Yeah, that's my big kind of issue with the Banshee that it was like just this idea. But go on, sorry. Sorry, I cut you off. Good that's okay. No, it's 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 uh it's also it goes to a tradition in Ireland that we don't really have anymore, which is the keening. And the keening was like a particular it wasn't just in Ireland actually. You used to have this kind of lamentation thing at funerals where people would like scream and wail and like get it out of you. Yeah, but it was a, there was a kind of a, an almost performative element to it like you could hire professional mourners to come to your funeral. Um, and there was a whole thing of like the, the louder they were, the more like well loved the person was. So obviously once it became, you know, a commercial endeavour. Competition. People, people like, get the loudest whalers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get the fucking whalers. It became a job. Yeah, if yeah, you could yeah. really like get some <gasps> volume into screaming. <gasps> like, yeah, yeah. If you yeah. could really get some volume into screaming, you could potentially have a job. Um, Class. So, yeah. It, it's not, it seems like, a, like it, there's a crossover with like uh, Islamic culture there as well. Um, I don't know. Like there, there's I've seen in what sense? Uh, wailing women, uh, mourning, wailing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the mourning and the wailing thing was not just Irish. Irish. Okay. That's a thing that's happened in cultures like globally. It mm. used to be a thing. It used to be like a thing pretty much throughout Europe, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. But it was called keening or queena in Ireland, which is where the you know that that word queena crying, yeah, queena crying. Um, and the banshee, the scream of the banshee is, um, <laughs> so the keening thing, uh, not just Irish, also pan-European, also potentially global. The reason that the banshee became associated with screaming and what we kind of, the way we tell it now is that she, she cries or she screams when someone's about to die. It's, it's presaging the, que- the keening at the funeral. Mm-hmm. So you'd hear somebody give a particular wail, which is the mourning wail that is reserved for funerals, as you were on your way home. I'm, or out in the wilds or in, whatever. In relation with some of the old families, the McCarthy's. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it was particularly, I think they're, they're, all, they're all the Gaelic lords, <clears throat> basically. Right. They're the kind of royal families of, of Ireland in the pre-colonial era. And obviously some of them uh, continued to be powerful um, under British rule some of them didn't depending on whether they converted or not uh, I'm a little bit fuzzy on that because we get into history then and I'm not so good on that better at myths better at myths yeah sure yeah yeah definitely better at myths nope. so yeah they're they're associated with particular families in Ireland and it's said that the Banshee appears for particular families in Ireland yeah no but I, I'm just very curious because of that her, her literal title and the fact that Cleana became no in Cork or no, like she obviously has a lot of association with Cork and we've kind of adopted her down there as a patron goddess and we have her 
fairly high up in the uh, the gods down there and yet to, to, to claim her as the queen of the banshee kind of seems like any one of the the fear or the two of the dad or the, the godlike people could have been a woman of the she you know it's like it's literally if there's a grieving god well like it's 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 Bridget is supposed to have given the first keening yeah for her son yeah. at the uh, battle, battle of Moitura uh, second battle of Moitura and you've also got the idea of the Morrigan who gives a lot of death omens so like again it, it, you get it you get into that split between folklore yeah. and mythology and the two of Daedanon as and again we've had this discussion before but you can't really call them gods godlike people yeah yeah I know you like saying godlike people but you can't really like there's a there's a difference of orientation toward religion. Like we think of gods as somebody that you pray to, mm-hmm. which by all indications, and there actually aren't that many because the Celts didn't write anything down. The Celts did not worship and pray to and offer sacrifices to the gods. They were part of an oral tradition. They were part of a storytelling tradition. So they told stories about them. But in the way that we think of worship today, Gods is maybe not like, mm-hmm. the word, yeah, yeah. so they were they were powerful beings. But again, Celtic mythology being what it is, everybody's a powerful being. <laughs> if they're in the mythology, like they're they're you know just magic. Yeah, just, yeah. The mm-hmm. Magic magic is not confined to the gods. Whereas, like in Greek mythology, you have to be a god or a demigod or like related to the gods in some way in order to have magic, and that's why like Heracles is important. Mm-hmm. In Irish mythology, you don't have to have any relation to the two Adidanan to be magic. And that's why Amergan, who's one of the sons of Mill, can sing down a storm that the two did and blow up. It has no relation. Right. And so they're not a category apart. They are, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to put sure, those kind of categorizations sure, 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 sure. onto it. I'm still very fascinated by the the idea to go into keening and the wailing. I guess I've been pretty impressed with how Irish people deal with mourning with funerals with just as collectively a group to gather to mourn to and try and heal together as a community we tend to just go straight down uh, like in schools when anyone pa- passed away my entire school would go mm. to that person and like the entire community just goes around any death in any, any church is huge and packed out in any community whereas I guess other models other cultures don't quite adapt that I I think other Western cultures don't. Yeah. I think like in, you know, funerals are quite different in the UK and in the US. In Ireland, it's a it's a thing that we still have a very strong tradition around. It's the one thing I would say we're becking good at. It's not the one thing we're good at. I mean, I would de- <laughs> definitely stand by you and say we're definitely good at It's that. a thing that we're pretty good at, yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. It is a thing that as a culture, we're, we're pretty, as a Western culture, <laughs> comparatively, we're pretty good at dealing with the reality of death. Yeah. And, and also the catharsis of funeral because, hmm. you know, funerals, Irish funerals are kind of famous for turning into parties <laughs> because you tell you start telling stories about the person who died. Yeah, absolutely. And then you start like reminiscing and laughing and crying and going for a few drinks and, you know. Getting all the good parts out along with the the tragedy of missing them we're not ignoring which, one or the other yeah exactly which doesn't take away from the pain it's just like it's a it's a way of processing it and yeah. talking about it and turning it into a story that you can then deal with a little bit better 
definitely. But um, so why why did you want to tell this story at this particular moment in time? Well, I think it's an interesting one with all of everybody getting sucked into a lot of fear and a lot of helplessness right now. It's like one of those things I've just been noticing is like, I can't help but find out the latest update of how many people got a, have a, a, have a disease. What's the latest thing to be locked down, shut down, told to stay indoors, you know, isolate. And the restrictions and everything are, are, are key for maintaining this and all the rest of it. But the fear that grips you and the helplessness is something that you get locked into very easily. And I guess the reason I wanted to look at the Banshee is the that association with inevitable doom and our helplessness that we face it and coming to the reality of everybody must face their death. Every must, everybody must look at their own mortality and be okay with it. And obviously not go jumping out of a plane without a parachute uh, take you know live your life to the fullest but be aware that it does actually have an end and not be afraid of it and not be completely paralyzed by that and i guess the for me the banshee represents that like you hear the banshee wailing what must that feel like to know your death is coming the following day for her to wail and go, there's a death coming. Does that trap you in fear or does that release you into kind of the the last moments of bliss of your own consciousness and your own awareness of your own life and how, how short and how beautiful that is and that can be once you concentrate on it and once you actually connect to it. Because actually, I think it's it's something that is interesting in the... I was just trying to look there on our thing to see if we've released the, the death stories yet. I don't think we have. No. Um, but they're actually coming up they're, they're kind of ones that we had recorded and scheduled a little mm-hmm. while back uh, the death of Kukulin and the death of Kaltkar Makutakar and particularly the Kukulin story he knows from the beginning of the story that he's going to die and like it's there's a very clear <sighs> set of omens that are like there's, there's a lot of omens in the story that sure, are very 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 directly and clearly telling Kukulin you are, you are not coming back from this you are going to die now this is the end of it and there's, it's never even a consideration um, for Cucullin to actually turn back. Never even enters his head. Also, Theo Mooney, pretty sure we would hear a banshee through the insulation because we <laughs> sure do hear sirens. <laughs> and, and the pitter-patter, the pitter-patter of rain falling yeah. on the little roof. Um, it's it's very very and, and the modest. Lewis going by. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is really there. more a temperature insulation than a, than a sonic insulation. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's it's an attempt. It's fine. <laughs> <clears throat> remember that. Remember that time we tried to record a podcast on a Sunday afternoon. Don't ever try it if you're in a community where there are kids. No, nope, because they all play and talk about banshees and screaming. And all oh years, my god! Get in, Euda! Get in, Euda! Come on, to yeah. Kids, they were having a lot of fun. They were having a lot of fun. They were having a lot of fun parents. at high volume in their back gardens. Yeah, they were like, like right there. We'd five minutes and then we'd like give screaming, wail, and like five more minutes we'd give them to them. Yeah. Anyway, that was mental. Anyway, we're not doing that again. Oh no, wait, it's a Sunday afternoon. It's a Sunday afternoon right now. Spooky. Ooh, I just realised that. Dun, dun, dun. We're not good at keeping time. Um, <laughs> tell me this, Erica. Why did you want to have a look at uh, Mish and Doverish? As a, as a story to look at at this time I guess we kind of ju- jumped on it because we did it last month and it might not have been a story you would have picked definitely but in what term in what ways looking at it right now in the current environment an interesting one do you think? So I think 
Mish and Doverish, for me, I really like, there's a couple of things I really like in that story. One is the idea of like the power of wildness. Um, because there's this woman who's divorced from her humanity for years and years, like for a period of time, I, I can never quite keep straight in my head how long it's supposed to be. But for a really, really long time, she goes wild and crazy and just is not in contact with civilization whatsoever. And it kind of almost gives her this sort of magical aura to her. She becomes incredibly powerful, but she's also divorced from her humanity. And then the fact, the fact that Doverish brings her back to humanity in part through sex. The nerd in me really likes the parallel that has to the Epic of Gilgamesh, <laughs> in which it is a woman who civilizes a wild man with sex. Nice. So there's this whole kind of like I just I, I think it's really funny when Irish myths like gender flip those tropes That's from other true. mythology. Yeah, it's yeah, really it like it happens from time to time. And that was like the first time I heard that I was like, oh, that's like in, in, I think his name is Indiku is, is the barbarian character Indiku in Gilgamesh. And, Gilgamesh yeah. and like one of the whores of Babylon like has to snoo snoo him into <laughs> being tame. Death by snoo snoo. Like civilization by snoo snoo, which is exactly what Doverish does with Mish. I love it too because I think there's like uh, a real tragedy in her losing her connection to her humanity and her ability to like engage again is yeah. is relearned through a loving tender connection not just yeah. sex it's like No it's not just sex you know, it's, it's all of the things it's the fact that he doesn't run away from her it's the mm. fact that he reintroduces her to music is yeah. a really really big Key. like key thing and he talks to her and he's patient with her and he shows her stuff and then he falls in love with her over the course of the summer Yeah, and it is this kind of thing of like isolation you know somebody just reacting to our civilization by Snoo Snoo yes we thought it was funny too um, the the what was I saying train of thought lost um, train of thought lost that's the only that's the downside <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. looking at the screen um Oh, we only have 27 seconds remaining in our live stream. Listen, live stream. Thank you very much. We're going to be back on Wednesday for a live stream full show. Uh, That's 18th. That's Sheila's day. Uh, Patreon is going to be a link to the YouTube channel to support starving artists because we have toilet roll. But we've no food. What are we going to do with any food? We only have toilet roll. No, no, we have food. We just don't have rent. Oh, yeah. that's Anyway, talk to you soon. Um, (laughs) Death by snoo Civilization by snoo (laughs) snoo. Cool. Live video paused. Reconnect. I think we can. We can. <clears throat> Live video ended. Awesome. Um, so to wrap up on on this story, I guess I kind yeah. of want to just have, have one last kind of uh, reconnection, I suppose, with this because I think right now it's very important to remember some of the lessons that Mish kind of learned. You know, reconnecting with music, with craft, with a, a form of humanity that is I guess displayed in that story whereas separating and going into the wild for me represents going into fear going into the darkness and going into the isolation of your own kind of trauma your own mind your own worry Uh, yeah where I think it's interesting is that like there's there's safety and there's power in that retreat for her Mm -hmm. like there's a certain it's it's like any traumatic response the reason that we the reason that we hold on to those responses is because they're coping strategies that worked at some point. 
Yeah. So if you've got someone who's who's dealing with a trauma or has an old pain or any of us with kind of self-destructive patterns, the reason that we repeat them is because at one point in our lives they worked. They worked, yeah. yeah and there, is, there was power in them and we found safety in them. So I think this is a story about, I agree with you in that like, it's a story about her losing her humanity because that was the only option that was open to her. Mm. She saw her entire family murdered. Not mm. murdered, it was a war. But she saw her whole family, all of her friends, killed. And her only real option that was seemed open to her at that time was to was to retreat into this wildness and this madness because it made her so terrifying that it kept her safe. And I think that's that's something as well to do with the way that Doverish kind of woos her back to civilization is that it's gentle and it's patient mm-hmm. and it's it's kind. Um so I think, you know, we, we to, I don't want I don't want to be hard on people no, that retreat into fear. Well, you know I, was what I, mean? just, I was just thinking actually something that occurred to me is like there's a time and a place and the Morrigan represents that anger and that battle rage and you need that. Mm-hmm. And very much so in fact in fact sometimes we don't play that because we don't allow it. Yeah, and it's want, more destructive. We don't want to be uh, we don't want to be impolite, so we end up and putting up with nonsense. I know I had to take I basically had to had to isolate after you know, getting all of my gigs and our gigs cancelled uh, for the next two months for a suitable future. And I had a bit of bit of grieving to do and I had to do it on my own and I had to be sad and just not deal with people for a while. Mm-hmm. And I am <clears throat> I know coming here to talk to you about sort of stories and engaging again with a crea- creative outlet is my way of going into the, the healing part. But I guess... It's good to it's good to know your own patterns, because when you see them and you can recognize them, then you can take steps, you know, not to improve them or make them better or anything. I'm not saying to become the next Ali. No, but you can you can I think you get quicker at them. Yeah. Like that's that's the thing that I notice in myself is that like I'll have the same emotional response to things. And I will also I'm also a, a person who retreats under pressure, but I won't tend to stay there for too long right uh, as I would have done in the past yeah. or I don't I don't stay there for as long because it's tough I think at the moment there's a lot of stuff and I'm getting bombarded with it in my yeah. feed of like positive isolation and here's your yoga routine and here's your healthy eating blah 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 and sure I just stocked up on more chocolate than I've bought in the last Do you know what that was the funny thing I also ended up buying a load of chocolate like because I, I was like this is the thing that I don't have at home mm-hmm. and this is the thing that I feel like if I if I start getting like emotionally freaked out this is the thing that I want to go and buy so I was like okay I'm just going to buy a lot of chocolate it's going to be fine um, but I think like yeah, it's funny. I think it's it's funny in the same way that that kind of self care can become its own sort of pressure Mm-hmm. Where people are like, oh, you have two weeks off. OK, now you must write the next great novel or you must <laughs> start a podcast or you must, you know, do a thing that you've get been putting off at home and or get fit it. at home or work out at home. No, sometimes you just need to, like, go quiet and go inside. And if you're worried about the world and you're worried about the state of the world, distracting yourself with self-improvement is not actually, I think, the best path. Hey, it's a path. Connecting with yeah. other people. That's true. Actually, is yeah. the path. And like, we are so lucky. We were talking before in the kitchen about like 
historical plagues in humanity, you know, the thing that we think of as the plague, the Black Death, that was going on for years. There was yeah. a plague season in London. People left yeah. when, when it got bad. All over Europe. All so, the yeah. rich people used to leave the cities. Um, like, having a scary communicable disease is not a new thing for humanity. And actually, where we're at now with technology, we're incredibly lucky because we can connect remotely. We have the capacity to actually talk to each other, to be in community with each other, to, yeah, to connect. And we don't need to put ourselves within a like infectious distance to do that. So I think it's really important. I think it's really important for us and for everyone to remember that and to reach out and to connect and to keep the focus on this whole global community. Because I think that's also one of the things that this virus has yeah, shown us very, yeah. very clearly. How and that is that is. this, this, yeah, our community is global. True. And it's, you know what, we have a brother in Guatemala and like those borders getting shut down uh, Monday. Uh, by the time this goes out, it'll be in the past. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's every country is taking big steps. And it's this like, it's this, wow. What's going on? You can't see it. It's ethereal. You can't help but think about watching 28 Days Later or whatever Stephen King novel was made into The Stand, I think it was. Uh, you know, like, you can't help but go into that level of fear. And there is a knee-jerk reaction to either stay in bed or a knee-jerk reaction to get up and do a lot of yoga. And I did two of those uh, things in the last two days. Um and yeah, I felt a bit better after getting up in the sunshine and my housemates were playing music and I was lucky. And I was like, oh, this is fucking gorgeous. Music brought me back into feeling again and moving my body brought me back into experiencing again. And mm. and calling you and making the plan to connect with you was the actual thing, the third thing I needed. You know, it's like, oh, mm -hmm. I need to communicate. And calling my girlfriend, Kira, I was like, yes. I, want, I talked to her for like half an hour. It was great. And I was like, this is lovely. I want to communicate. I forgot to do this for a while. Mm. And for all the self-care and all the motivating things that people are telling you to do, I think it's important to take your time, be respective of your own process, know what steps you want to go through, be aware and be more aware of people in your vicinity that you can talk to. Mm -hmm. About Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and have stuff. cups of tea and Skype your friend that you haven't talked to in a while and all that kind of crack. Because yeah. that's part of taking care of yourself as well. Absolutely. Um, so we are going to be putting out more digital content because yeah. we are very lucky in having people who already listen to our podcast. We are indeed. Thank you very much And for uh, who already support our podcast. Uh, like most people in the arts in this country and in other countries, this is financially very difficult. Um, yeah. it's difficult for everybody who is in a job where they can't work from home. So, you know, remember the people, you know, if, if you are if you are one of the lucky ones who can work from home, remember the people who have, you know, service jobs, who have retail jobs, who have uh, jobs in the arts, who have maybe don't have homes to go to to self-isolate in. Mm. Um, or who are stuck at home with people who are abusive. I there mean, are any, all kinds that of... That last one goes for everybody. If you if you see anyone who's sleeping off at the moment, be uh, extra kind. Be extra kind. And, <clears throat> um, and if you'd like to show some support for the arts, because that's the area that we're in, you can support us directly by going to Patreon. Uh, also, the Civic Theatre are running a lovely funded campaign for artists 
in Ireland mm. uh, who are being hit by this. So you can also donate to that. We'll put a link in the show notes. Well, indeed. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Phil Nabiotana. We were, uh, of course, Phil Nabiotana, Galway Theatre Festival and a couple of other little festivals we were planning and performing in, in May have been pulled uh, as well as lots of other gigs this month. But Phil Nabiotana got in contact, God bless them, uh, and said they've secured some funding from the Arts Council, God bless you, uh, to give us a percentage of what they were going to pay us for coming down and doing a gig in Dingle. And we'll be back there next year. So, Phil and Vyotana, we are coming for you. It will be next year. It'll be lovely. Thank you, Arts Council, um, Council for giving whatever percentage it is we'll get. Um, maybe. I don't know. Um, thank you. And thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. And uh, thank you, Oshin, for helping doing this as well. And thank you, Siren, for going off just throughout that whole thing. Oh, it stopped. Yep. Oh, it stopped. <laughs> oh, look, it stopped. Okay. Uh, and it's back. So... Thank you to all of you who tuned in to our uh, live stream. I hope you enjoyed it. We were going to keep playing with the live stream over the next little while and we're going to we're going to see how it goes. Yay. All right. So we will be back with you on Wednesday the 18th. Maybe sooner. Who knows? I don't know. What are you doing? <laughs> like after this tea, tea break, tea. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye.